0: Today on the Zabecast, the NFL's battle lines have been drawn and talk of potential camp holdouts are beginning to leak. I've got a way to really stretch the NFL taffy, although you may just actually hate it. John Ronas joins me to geek out about music, adult cover bands, and how he came to play guitar late in his life. All that plus the rise of meth gators? Your bonus 45 minutes of little old me is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. Oh,
1: ho, 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 ho. Here we go.
0: Tuesday, July 16, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Special guest today. First time ever fully on the cast, Although he's made cameos and Special episodes: John Ronas, who you hear on the Capital Golf Gang, the golf instructor to the stars, and my former little league teammate, way, way, way back in the day. We'll geek out about music, talk about how he learned to play the guitar very late in life. I didn't know that, and we'll bring a couple songs to the table today and explain why exactly we love them. But first. Sports, sports, sports. This is sports SportsCast, isn't it? Yeah, mostly SportsCast, but it's sports and bonus. Let me start with this on the uh, sports front. So it's amazing how the battle lines and the small skirmishes are now starting to appear in the NFL when it comes to the players and the owners. couple of items. One, Jadevian Clowney has been designated as a defensive end slash linebacker. And he is uh, contesting this because it, the linebacker tag carries a lower salary designation than it does a defensive end tag. Now, I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of Texans football. I don't know their scheme exactly, but that motherfucker's a defensive end. He ain't no linebacker. I don't give a shit. Three, four, whatever, rush defensive end. He's not a linebacker. He's a monster. But again, uh, this and the NFLPA is expected to file a grievance. The filing of the grievances. This is, again, nickel-diming bullshit, but it goes to show you the owners play for keeps and they don't fucking care. The other thing is that Zeke Elliott apparently has let it be known to those in his circle that he is planning a training camp holdout if he does not get a new contract. Some would say, oh, that is rich. You just avoided getting suspended again by the league for your stupid run-in, needless run-in, with a security guard at a rave in Vegas. And that security guard is now suing you, and whether there's merit to his lawsuit or not, it's going to end up in you paying out money in the end, which makes you stupid. You got two years left on your rookie deal. Hey, sit down, shut up, and run the football. I get it, though, for Zeke Elliott now is the point of his maximum leverage, if he has any. The Cowboys, though, who just paid Demarcus Lawrence and who are evaluating how much to pay Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, Zeke Elliott's probably third on their list. And they're thinking to themselves, let him prove it to us two more times and then we'll get around to paying him. And even if we have to pay him the franchise tag for one year, that's three more years of Zeke Elliott that we've got control of. By the way he's going, he may not make it three more years. I understand the hardball being played, but these are the kind of things that if the union really wants to get serious and they really want to take on the NFL, they have got to get ready for a fight. And it just doesn't seem like they have the makeup to do it. If I were the union and D. Smith, I would focus on one thing and one thing only. Get rid of every tag. Transition tag, franchise tag, exclusive rights tag. And I would try to, although it's probably asking a bit much, to dial back the rookie contract length from 4 plus 1 if you're a first rounder and 3 plus 1 if you're not. Dial that back a year on both fronts, and now you're talking. Excuse me. I think, actually, besides first-rounders, it's just four years only. It's not even a three plus one. So that would do the union wonders because then free agent players would actually hit the market with teams not being able to control, restrict, or put their arms around them in their actual prime after three or four years in the league. Remember, the average career length in the NFL is something ridiculously short. And even if you account for, okay, a lot of guys are one and dones, don't put them in the mix, fine. An eight-year career is a nice career. If you don't get to free agency until your fifth year, which if you add one franchise tag, prohibitive as it is for one year, that's six years. I mean, that's three-quarters of your career. That's what the Players Association should focus on. Not sure if it's doable or not, but who knows. Now, the Player, the the excuse me, the owners they want a longer season, duh. They want the eighteen games. They want the eighteen over sixteen, which doesn't seem like a lot of people are as enthusiastic about it as I am. I just want it from a sports talk radio perspective. It would be gold, Jerry, gold. Figuring out, mapping out, analyzing who should sit where, planning it. It'd be a whole cottage industry of people with websites that chart out just when certain players should sit for maximal strategic impact. During a 18-over-16 season. But I'll go the NFL one better if they really want to stretch the taffy. Here's how you do it. You go 20-over-18, over-16, over-14. Let me explain. 20 is the envelope of the season. A 20-week regular season, which means, yes, 18 games that count, two bye weeks. All right, don't groan about the two bye weeks. Trust me, you'd have the eighteen over sixteen, so eighteen games count. Sixteen is the maximum number of te- games a team a player can play, and then the fourteen refers to the playoffs. You you bring in one extra team on each side for the playoffs. You've expanded everything. And by the way, you're going to say, well, seven and seven? How, how are you going to run that bracket?" Simple, one bye. You shouldn't be given the second best team in each conference a bye week to rest in the playoffs. That should be reserved for the numero uno team. So the number one team gets a bye. Then you've got six games in that first week uh, between the two conferences. And then you have more playoffs. I think between the 2018-16-14 format, you could stretch the NFL and you could damn well reach the weekend they want to reach, which is the President's Day weekend in February. Let me know what you think. 2018, 16, 14. Love it, hate it, something in between. Great, meh, suck. You tell me. All right, let's nerd out to some music and bring in my man, Johnny Ronis. In a little bit of a change-up today... I welcome on, my golf show partner in crime and former Little League Baseball teammate, John Ronis, who is in studio today to talk music, professional baseball, top flight athletes, Labrador retrievers, <laughs> raising boys,
2: all kinds of things, right, Johnny? Fun, fun stuff. Fun, fun Life. stuff, indeed.
0: You know, we're, uh, we're sitting here at Sunday morning. We're watching Wimbledon, the final. We had just done the golf show. Uh, on Team 980. Uh, that would be a Capital Golf Gang. You might have heard of it if you haven't. Uh, do listen. It's a wonderful one-hour romp through the world of golf with a bunch of good guys, including Johnny, uh, every Sunday morning during golf season from 9 to 10 a.m. But uh, we're here, and we're watching Wimbledon, and we're talking about tennis, and we're both golf guys. But I played tennis, Johnny, Yeah. back in the day. I, I, was, I was a dual country club nerd sport kid even though my parents did not belong to a country club uh, we belonged to a swim club tuckahoe swim club I'm uh, sure on the mean streets of mclean virginia and i was on the tennis ladder there yeah. they called
2: it i played competitive tennis
0: okay yeah question how many guys do you think currently adults play golf avidly and play tennis avidly
2: yeah that's a good question you know probably 20 percent. i think you're right it's a country club community so you know they grew up playing probably both but tennis takes a little bit more work physically than than golf i go out there and play tennis with my wife we try to play three or four times a week that much uh, yeah we try to play we try to play every night but you know the humidity and sometimes gets in the way is laura
0: a big tennis player did she play in college no Nope, no. Nope. I never fancied it's, you as a big tennis guy. It seems like to me, tennis and golf end up saying like two girlfriends, you need to choose. You know, like you don't get to date both of
2: us. As you're looking at me in my current form, <laughs> uh, you don't realize. But I, I was actually a, a very, very good athlete and played almost every sport um, at a pretty high level when I was little. It kind of all fizzled out around age 12 and then golf kind of took over. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed playing every sport.
0: I, I'm, I'm enjoying just keeping an eye on this uh, Federer-Djokovic match, although I don't watch Wimbledon like I used to. I used to watch it like literally crisscross applesauce sitting four feet in front of the TV yes. on Sunday morning, and I was super into who won. I always rooted against Borg. I felt like he was the stoic, weirdo European. Okay, So I rooted for Connors and McEnroe whenever possible. I rooted against Yvonne Lendl yes. because he was even more so the big gorky Eastern Bloc loser
2: with a bunch of sawdust in his pocket,
0: <laughs> right? And I, I was so into it, and I'm not sure when I lost the taste as a sports fan. You lost the taste when tennis. the
2: characters went away, and that's when tennis kind of died. When McEnroe and and Connors kind of went away, and we started to go into the Lendl, uh, Sampras age, there were no characters anymore. And that's why we need that, in you know, we're golf. I'm a golf guy, but we need that in golf as well, because the sport can die if there's no characters there. What's the every sport?
0: What's the state of
2: tennis? Uh, tennis is a, is a as a B grade B sport now. Men's certainly. What's the
0: what's the participation state of tennis? Oh, I'm
2: still, it's very high. It's a good it sport. Is? Yeah, because is it you, healthy? Yes. Yeah. Is there a sport.
0: National Tennis Foundation, NTF, yeah. like the NGF? Yeah. National USTA, Golf Foundation, USTA. And do they track number of games played, like the NGF tracks rounds played in golf?
2: You know, that's an interesting one. I bet you they can't do that, but they, they participation through camps and clinics and all. And the they probably
0: stuff. also measure racket sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still the, the sports still very healthy. Okay. Do you ever watch the Tennis Channel? No. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: Because no. why not? No, uh, because I'm not interested, but you play yeah. tennis.
0: Yeah, I'm that's not, the thing. I'm not you interested watch at the, all. You watch the golf channel. You don't watch the tennis channel. I'm not even sure what channel the tennis channel is on. I'm going to look it up right now. I think it's 220 something yeah. on the direct TV. Yeah. I wonder what they have because it's all just very technical. Hit crisper forehands. Yeah, I don't know. Volley your opponent into submission. I mean, think
2: it, it might be a half hour of programming a day. <laughs> no, it's
0: 24 <laughs> I hours. I know, but what can you put on there? I don't know. Old matches, that's all commercials. Yeah, Elena Nastasi. To me, like, once I truly became drunk with golf, the nectar that is golf, tennis just wafted away in the background. Like, I it, it didn't capture my eye and my passion the way golf did. And I think part of it is, John, the court is the same no matter where you go. Golf, the course you play is an adventure and a spectacle yeah. and a wonder unto itself.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's I'm sure it is on a certain level a very cerebral sport, but to me, golf and baseball were so cerebral that you could get so caught in the weeds Yeah, that I loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. And you those think are tennis
0: the... is more reactionary? I think it is. And it's and it's a technical sport of I've hit so many ground stroke backhands. Yeah. My backhand is money, and I'm going to put it exactly where I want. Yeah,
2: it. and a physical sport, and it's but it's very quick, very right. reactive.
0: And I'm not saying tennis is not cerebral. No, We're no, no, get some I'm reactive sure it Tennis is. players going, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I understand. There's ways to set guys up yes. and rally a point and strategy and this and that and everything else.
2: But it's a smaller court, so there there can't be. By definition, there can't be as many angles and as many things as, say, a baseball field or something like that. It's
0: also an opposed sport. Mm -hmm. So unlike golf, in which your opponent is you, essentially, and the course, how well your opponent plays... As a big factor in whether or not you're
2: going to be successful. Yeah, yeah you could just get drummed off the court and, yeah. and just the match is over in 50 minutes.
0: If you're not as talented as Federer Correct. or Djokovic and you run up against him in the early rounds of a tournament, good luck. Correct. It's going to take yeah. a miracle match for you to win.
2: Exactly. Doesn't mean you suck. No, and it doesn't mean it's a boring sport or anything else. I'm not putting down tennis. I like it. It's just it doesn't interest me as much as some of these other sports.
0: One thing I'd love to do is I've never played
2: on grass. I have.
0: That would seem to be so wild. It's fast as hell. It's pretty cool.
2: It's Well, you know what? It doesn't get like Wimbledon because it's not three weeks of a tournament not on there. all tamped down? Yeah, like so do. it's yeah. just basically like playing on putting greens. Really? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. It's very quiet.
0: All right, enough tennis. People are like, yeah. <laughs> really, Zabe? You introduce a new Zabe Cast character yeah. and you're talking about tennis? Yeah. Let's get talk about something much more important. Music. John Ronas is in a garage band. At age, what age are you now? Fifty. This is the band just south of seven, playing a gig locally, and playing Twilight Zone by uh, Diamond Earring or something. This is you, by the way, on lead vocals. Yeah, is it good, by the way? Are you ha- are you cringing right now? Is this a good performance it's, it's or not? It's pretty good. Okay, here we go. Wrap it up. Dude, that is, that's pretty damn good. I knew you had. I knew you had a band. You've been telling me about it for years. Now I literally had not heard a single song. You sent me this clip. I was like, "Oh, son of a bitch, they're actually pretty good."
2: It is. It is mind blowing to me.
0: And you play guitar as well. Where'd you get your chops? Where'd you learn?
2: This is a great story for sports. Um, I grew up and was a good athlete, and everything kind of came easy in the sports you know, like soccer or volleyball or something that I wasn't initially great at. I just never played. So everything that I've done in my life, I was pretty good at it at a young age. I never, ever picked up a musical instrument, never touched a musical instrument, never sang a note until I was 38 years old. Really? And my son got a guitar when he was like five years old as, you know, a gift for a birthday. I was just banging on it and broke a string. I went into a music place to get a string and there were guitars all over the place, and I said, "You know what? I'm buying a guitar." Wow! And that's what I did. And so then you I got
0: came this late to the music. Yeah,
2: game. and then I went across the street to a buddy's, and we we're sitting on a deck, and I said, "I got a new guitar because they played. <laughs> One of the guys played <laughs> in my <laughs> bang, band. Playing, playing, yeah. playing, playing. One yeah. of the guys in my band played guitar, and who's in my band now? Played guitar, Chris Ellinghouse, great guy. And he goes, "What kind of music do you like?" I said, "Yeah, I'm kind of Beatles fan." He goes, well, let's just sing some songs. I go, I am not singing in front of people on a deck. He goes, come on, just sing yeah. some songs. H-
0: how was your singing, Chops? Were you in the choir growing up uh, No, I never did all?
2: anything. Never sung. Still to this day, I haven't Get sung out in of front here. of my family.
0: So this, so you sitting up there playing guitar and singing, yeah. quite capably, all came to you late in life, yeah. starting at 38. I had I no don't, idea. I don't believe that at all. So
2: what I... Oh,
0: Did you take yeah. lessons never. to sing? Never. Vocal lessons? Never. Are you just naturally pitch perfect? I guess
2: so. Well, I'm, I won't say I'm pitch perfect. You're pitch,
0: pitch capable.
2: And I'm very, uh, I think I'm somewhat capable of mimicking uh, some different kind of tones and things okay. like that. So anyways, it, it was. it's great for a life lesson because then I learned how to play guitar, and I've never done anything that I wasn't good at right from the beginning. So I actually had to work at this. So it was very similar to my students in golf who are not that good at it, but they love it. I had never experienced that before. So it was a good learning. I put myself in their shoes by trying to learn how to play guitar.
0: Please don't, please don't tell me that you have composed a full rock opera in your spare time. I have at 45 years old because you found picking up guitar and singing and playing in a band boring Yes. Because you're just so naturally gifted at everything. You're like, let me write a rock
2: opera. I am, am I? I'm, I'm in the process. You're
0: in the, you're <laughs> in the process. Okay. Yeah. By the way, do you write songs for the band? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, okay. We don't usually, you know, no one wants to hear originals. But we, yes, we have a series of originals, and I've written two or three songs. And, um, what do you mean no one right. wants to hear originals?
0: You know, we're out there playing Meaning the bars. Gig, gig yeah. bands are like, yeah. Right. Who wants <laughs> to hear that? <laughs> That's right. Play something I know. Right, right. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to write a song. I, I have no tonal capacity whatsoever. I sing from time to time spoofish songs on the radio, and people quickly say, don't sing anymore. And I'm you, like, okay, you, fine.
2: You write a song, we'll put music to it, and we will, and I'll sing it.
0: The song I'm going to write, it's to the tune of I'm Getting Drunk on a Plane All right. by, is that Kenny Chesney, I believe? Uh-huh. I'm Getting Drunk on a Plane. Instead, the song is going to be... I'm on a train in a mall because my my producer, Josh, who's got a young t- son, two years old, called me one day out of the blue. And he's like, guess where I am right now. It was a Saturday. It was like a beautiful Saturday. And I'm like, I don't know where he goes. I'm on a train in a mall. <laughs> it's great. And I said, welcome. Yeah. To fatherhood. In America, we have
2: all been there, right?
0: Exactly. So I'm going to write a song that just pays homage to the mind-numbing, stupid, and yet you know crucial parts of being a dad these days. Good. I'm on a train that's, in a mall. That's great. We, but I'm going to crib the. I'm going to crib the sort of the notes and the structure of the song. I'm drunk on a plane,
2: and we might change that, but that's okay. Speaking of writing
0: songs, this always fascinates me. How do people write songs? Songwriters hook writers, musicians, artists. There are thousands of artists and bands, Johnny, who have had one hit song. And yeah. it was the greatest thing that ever happened to them. Yeah. And you know that after their one hit, they would go back to the studio and go, damn it, we need another song. Yes. And they'd knock things out. And they'd riff on what they had done before. And they'd channel their inner sort of you know persona as a group. And then nothing, nothing else hit. It must be one of the most frustrating things in the world.
2: I'm sure it is, but it's also, to me, as someone who now, you know, sings their songs and plays music, it's one of the most fascinating things I can ever imagine. It's, let's say you're a professional golfer, professional baseball player, you're trying to master a skill, and those skills are pretty understood, they're pretty much right in front of you. Yeah. Imagine writing 240 songs. Totally different. How how does that come out of your brain? I don't know. How does how do you not revert back into those other fifty songs that you wrote? They're everyone sounds alike. It's incredible to me. You, I love the Beatles, and I look at their catalog, and it's so eclectic. I just don't know how it's possible. Now there's a collaboration there, but I I get you. It's got to be like if you go in there and you only had those five songs. They were really good, but you didn't realize you only had those five songs, and then you go in there to do it again. And there's nothing else left. What do you, you do? You being a Beatles fan, have you seen the movie yesterday? I did. I went on vacation and I saw God? it. I loved it. Okay, good. I, I want to see it. I, I, I loved
0: it. I love the concept, even though it requires a huge leap of faith on the
2: premise uh, the whole The whole concept is kind of stupid, but they do it in a way. I, I, you know what? I won't even bother to go through it. We're, we're not reviewing a movie. I'm a huge Beatles fan, so I like the movie. There's probably some corny stuff. And if you're not a big Beatles fan, there's some things that will go over your head. But there's a there's a scene in there that almost brought tears to my eyes. It's some good stuff. You ever, it's, it's worth it. Did, did, ever watch, did
0: you ever watch the Eagles documentary? Oh, yeah. Okay. That is great. So speaking of writing songs, I, I think it was Glenn Frey who was renting a room underneath Jackson Brown in L.A. Yes. And he would hear Jackson Brown just knock out like eight chords of a song day after day after day, changing it, tweaking it or whatever. And Glenn Fry said, it was then that I realized what it took yeah. to write a great song. Yeah. It didn't just happen like that. Maybe the inspiration happens like that, but the finished product takes a lot of work.
2: It's a dichotomy for life. It really is. You know, someone who listens to you every day, they're like, Shh, I could do that. <laughs> and then if they ever sat in that chair, they have no clue how many repetitions it takes, how many things you have to go through, how many errors you have to make. To make things sound right.
0: How much bad radio? You've got to bury in college and in small markets to sound half decent. Right. So when it comes to writing songs, this is my favorite clip ever because it's both hilarious and I think hits on the essence sort of, of music. It's from Family Guy and it's Stewie.
3: All right, come on, Stewie. You can write a song.
0: How hard can it be? By the way, have you heard this one yet? No. Oh, you're going to like this. Yeah, I'm sure I will. Okay, you're going to you really like As a musician, you're going to really like this. You got your G chord right here.
3: It's like your cozy house where you live. That's where you start your journey. Here I am in my house, nice and cozy. And then you poke your head out the door with a C chord. Everything looks okay out here. Maybe I'll take a walk outside to the D chord. Oh, walking around outside. Look at all the stuff out here. Then we go to an A minor. Getting a little cloudy out here. Looking like we might have some weather. Then we go to E minor. Oh, definitely got some weather. Things are a little more complicated than they seemed at first. And then we go back to my house. You sound like an unbelievable douche. Then Brian comes in and I change up the tempo. Brian comes in and he changes the song. Looking at me like he thinks I'm a douchebag. But he's going to learn pretty fast that he's wrong. Hey, Brian, why are you bringing me down, man? <laughs> why are you bringing me down? Don't bring me down! <laughs> music and lyrics by Stewie Griffin. That's great. I had never heard that.
0: It is fantastic. The whole it, notion of, oh, here's a C chord. I'm in my house. Oh, I'm going out. It points to how music is supposed to bring you on a little journey of uncertainty doubt conflict triumph
2: that is happiness enlightenment the minor chords are the sad chords in in music okay that's what he was saying right because the a minor and the e minor that he went to those are sad chords and minors and the major chords are the happy chords and that's how you write a song so if you're if it's a subject matter that is a little bit more dreary you're heading more towards those minor chords it's just the way they sound
0: all right let's uh i asked john to bring me two songs today that well you i, I said, you three, said three but we, we don't have time for okay. three. two songs that you really love yeah. and you're going to explain why you really love them one of them is this little ditty from the beatles called all you need is love I listened to this whole song all the way through for the first time in a long time, and my first thought was, Jesus, they won't fucking (laughs) stop with this song.
2: Right. This is
0: absolutely not one of my favorites. Yeah. This song to me is too horky-dorky, hanky-janky, cornball,
2: blah. Yeah, this is... I'm curious, why do you love this song? There's a couple reasons. One, because it's kind of what the group was all about. It was just kind of... They were a very kind of happy group of guys, and love was kind of their big thing. And I well, think it it's,
1: the 60s, too. Yeah, I and
2: I think it's 60s. just a basic kind of, if, if you can just kind of keep this in your mind, everyday life, things will be good, right? The other cool thing is they came to the Beatles, and they said, um, we're going to do this uh, big, huge simulcast. Uh, we need a song. And they gave him like a couple months. And Lennon just kind of hold down and put this together. Now, this isn't the Beatles, by the way, Zabe. I don't know where you got this. Oh, it's Lennon. I don't know who this is. It's definitely not the Beatles version. I think that's a copy of someone trying to sing it. Because I know for a fact that's not the Beatles. Really? That's I've, definitely not the Beatles.
0: I pulled it off of YouTube. Yeah. And it had the Beatles album face on it. Wow. Talk about That's definitely not that's the Beatles. That's embarrassing for me because- that I could listen to a knockoff of the Beatles and not even know that yeah. it's
2: not the real Beatles. Because Lennon's vocals on on there are classic John Lennon, sitting there chewing gum. Boy, I tell
0: you, you could sell me uh, land in Florida, yeah. that swamp land, and I'd say, oh, that's great. This
2: is prime real estate. Yeah. Just a bakes a song. It just kind of it's it just wraps things together for me. It's very simple. They have songs that are that I could pick, but other people wouldn't really know them and know why. So,
0: so you like this song for its simplicity? Yeah,
2: it just it's it just wraps things up pretty nicely for their... What they were, what were they, their importance to the world, their importance to the world, the Beatles' importance to the world is, unless you get into the weeds, you have no idea. They came here shortly after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The United States was in a deep, deep, dark cloud, and the Beatles arrived. And they brought life back to this country and back to, uh, you know, the world and the arts in general. So it was a big deal.
0: Do you think this is the real one? I'm now back on YouTube.
2: Yeah. 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 From Yellow Submarine. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to hear the vocals, the Lennon vocals, are going to be much different than that other clown that was singing.
0: (laughs) Some other guy's 50-year-old garage band playing suburbia.
2: That's John Lennon.
0: Oh, there he is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm such a dummy.
3: And this was
2: simulcast live. On what? Uh, Like millions and billions of people watched it. What year? uh, probably 1968.
0: For what event? Uh,
2: for some BBC event. And they just filled a room with a bunch of people, and it was just that's when the, the song premiered live.
0: Off the Yellow Submarine album. Well, What's they put your... it on
2: Yellow Submarine. Oh, okay. Yellow Submarine has some cool songs. Hey Bulldog. Um, I don't know if Nowhere Man. No, Nowhere Man's Magical Mystery Tour. They just have so many good songs, it's ridiculous. Well,
0: yeah, as evidenced by the movie Yesterday in which a guy decides, oh, I'm the only one that knows about these songs. I'll just go knock them out one after there's another. There's some great scenes. Because, and become a huge star.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, there's some great scenes of him him because no one knows what he's singing. And he's trying to explain how great these songs are. And they're like, oh, well, we're a little full of ourselves, aren't we? Because they're thinking he's writing the songs. He's like, this is the greatest song ever written. All right. The other song
0: that you really loved, and I I agree with you on this one, and it was made into a phenomenal montage. That's why I like it. For ESPN. Maybe one of the The greatest. The best
2: ever. I'm getting goosebumps as you're playing that because I'm thinking about that. So you're thinking about the
0: ESPN montage of all the great highlights of all the great athletes in time. Played it for
2: Laura last night. It's so good. It really is. It's so good because there's different parts of it. And this is a great song.
0: So wait, you're saying the ESPN montage of highlights to dream on.
2: So good. But what about
0: the song itself? So good. Okay. (laughs) The song is still so good. Awesome.
2: And then the montage just makes me think of it every time.
0: What is the definition of music to you? Because I had it explained to me once in a way that made total sense. It's not noise. It's not melody per se. It's got to be more than that. What is the definition of
2: music? Oh, there's a, on a song that you like or there's a deep effect on your soul for a song that Reaches you I
0: don't think that has to be The definition of music There's a lot of just Plain music That doesn't affect you
2: No, no, no I'm, uh, The deep dark on your the Deep effect on your soul Can be in a million Different ways And that's why I think Music is incredible It could just bring you A sense of happiness chit, boom, boom, okay. chit,
0: chit, chit, What's the But what's the basic definition Entertainment the, Okay I was I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just yeah. saying Music to me was described The basic definition is Tension And release Hmm. And ever since that was explained to me, I th- I think of every song in terms of tension and release okay and how songs build up and then they spill you out into a release chorus, usually the chorus itself for a period and then it dives back into more tension like as we listen here right now So here's the release part yep your your mar- this is like a March tempo. And it's like, yeah. Yep. Now a little bit of tension comes back in with that guitar riff.
2: So good. It's an, just a great song.
0: You an Aerosmith fan?
2: I am. Yeah, you know, and I, I spent 20 years in Boston, so, you know, they're kind of a known Boston band, even though they really kind of a little north of that, but that's, it's. Yes, do, I'm a big ball. Bo- do you guys you know, play this song? No, because your- here's the problem, Dave. As you go further in this song, yeah. there's a part of this song that you're incapable of ever hitting the notes. Oh, right. And <laughs> right. so it ruined. I'd love to sing this because I, I can. I think can it's hit coming this. up here, isn't it? it it's g- about to. Yeah, he's going to go through this chorus again, and then he's going to say it. But the, I would love to sing this part, and most of this song. Until he gets to this. And this is the kicker. This is your release that you're talking about yeah. coming up right here dun, dun, on this part. There's the build. Here's the build. Just That's keeps bass. ratcheting up and The bass up. is awesome. And then he hits you with this. On, here we go. Back up.
0: This is pure release right here. Oh. You're just flying right now listening to this song. It's so good.
2: Just a great, it's just one of the greatest songs in history, and it always comes up as one of the greatest songs, too. So good. And then it just goes away. It just away. sort of
0: ends in a weird way.
2: Yeah. It just goes away. I think it's great.
0: Sort of like a dream. Yeah. That's where exactly. your dream just kind of suddenly ends. You wake like, up. Oh, I'm awake now. Right. What, well, what was that all yeah, about? I okay. love that song. All right, I'm bringing one to the table to you yes, today. Yes, please and do. It's, it's from a soundtrack. And it was written by this guy, Bill Conti, who is still alive. And he is a very famous now conductor and composer. And he composed this for <sighs> the original Rocky. Movie. Now, when you think Rocky, everyone thinks "Gonna Fly Now," which, by the way, was a Bill Conti production. You think "Eye of the Tiger," which was by Survivor. Yes. Few people think of this song, which is called "Going the Distance." It's the lead up to the big fight. You
2: feel me on this one? Oh, I had it taped on a cassette tape from the TV. It was on TV. Yes. Okay.
0: I'm reading the comments on this uh, YouTube video. Someone said, I made my fish listen to this. He's a shark now. <laughs> Someone else said, I listened to this before every fight I have with my wife. <laughs> it's great. Someone else said, who else listens to this for 17 hours straight? <laughs> Someone else said, best song ever. I love it because it's like, yes, I know the montage they played in Rocky for this song. But I think even if I had never seen the movie... I'd understand what the song is saying to me right now. This is the
2: workout. This is when he's working out. This is when he's pounding the meat. This is when he's doing all the eating the eggs. This is all that stuff. And then it gets into the running part where they play the rest.
1: So
0: this this gives you the sense of hey, I'm really working on I've got a big thing coming up and I'm working hard to try to conquer this big thing. And now I'm taking it next level. There's your release. Not yet. Not pure release, but this is sort of like, hey, you know what? Keep fighting. You can do this, man. That's what the song is saying. And then it gets to the point where, here we go. (laughs) I mean, that is pure release right there. Now it's like. Hey, you know what? You are going to win this fight. You're going to do this, man. Yep. It's all good. You haven't done it yet, but you know you've put in the hours. Yep. you put in the work, and it's going to be all right. Listen to the violins streaming at the high end. Got the vocals layering in, the choral vocals in the background. Can you comprehend
2: for just a second the brain that it Writing took to all put of this shit? together? Yeah, exactly. I can't. I can't.
0: But then okay, our little release run's coming to an end because hey, we haven't won the big fight yet. We gotta remind you. Now the bell tolls. Ooh. The big moment is at hand. You've worked for it. You know you're you got it, but you gotta go do it. Yep. Bill. Fucking Conti. And
2: that's in Rocky II when he goes in and kisses his baby and it goes right into <laughs> exactly. the run in Flying High
0: Uh Conti also Ooh. wrote Dynasty. He also wrote The Right Stuff. He wrote uh, the Bond film For Your Eyes Only, uh, Karate Kid as well. That's so good. Yeah, the, the orchestral compositions oh. do blow my mind.
2: Yes, yeah, like the Robin Hoods and the Field of Dreams and those things – They really touch you deep. Uh, Yeah, they're incredible.
0: There's a guy that now does um, the the composer who did the theme song for the new Fox U.S. Open is this uh, Brian somebody. He's like this really hot Hollywood composer that also did the Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. Do you watch the Avengers movies? No, I don't actually. Okay.
2: It's not into that realm.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Brian Tyler is okay. his name. All right. So, so he wrote, and, and I love these big. <laughs> A lot of French horns I hear in there.
2: Well, that's back to the John Williams kind of. Uh, it is. It is John Williams, right? Ra- uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, yeah, somewhere John Williams. Uh, is Poltergeist. Like, hey Tyler, you're stealing my shit. Yeah.
0: Back off, pal.
2: Yeah. Jaws, for instance, is phenomenal.
0: Jaws is really good. Yeah, I mean all
2: that fact. music and and rate and uh, uh, oh God the the UFO movie I can't remember. Now. So
0: here I'm going to show you this. This is uh, this is cool. This is what I do sometimes nerding out because you know I was a band nerd. I played drums, and so I was around musicians all the time. I never called myself a musician because as a drummer I don't, I'm a percussionist. I believe mm-hmm. that's a different class. It's like a it's like a dentist. I'm sure wants to be called a doctor but they're a fucking dentist. Let's not <laughs> kid ourselves. They're very valuable, by the way. Yeah. There's a specific skill set, but I, I put them aside from doctors. I put myself as a drummer, as a percussionist, aside from real musicians yeah, fair enough. that deal with the notes and all the other yeah. stuff that goes You're with it. You're wrong,
2: but that's okay. Okay,
0: so so here is here is Brian Tyler with what... Jesus, look at that orchestra, John. That it's must incredible. be a 120-piece a 100 piece orchestra yeah. with... A coral up top, and this is a live performance of the Avengers Age of Ultron. This is a young dude, too. Isn't yeah, like really he really is. fit? And, He's a stud. Uh,
2: he looks like one of these tennis players we're watching. Yeah. 0% body fat.
0: It just blows my mind that, okay, so you're in one of these big orchestras. You're the sixth violin. And you're playing perfectly. You've practiced this piece for hours and hours and hours. And you look to your left and you look to your right and there's one of you right next to you. And you must think, well, why am I needed here? What if I stop? (laughs) Yeah, and the answer is nobody would know. No. But something calls for a redundancy, I guess for volume and depth when it comes to
2: an orchestra. Totally. Look at them all. It's a competition of instruments. good stuff you, you know, know they have, to replicate it live is incredible to watch yeah
0: also one thing if you're nerdy about music and maybe just you know classical compositions like this aren't your thing well that's pretty badass right yes, there yes it is uh there was a there was a special i saw on direct tv once um about uh let me th- uh trevor horn do you know who trevor horn is no Trevor Horn is a legendary producer, songwriter, and musician. He formed the band The Buggles. Do you remember the song Radio Killed the uh, Video Killed the Radio Star?
2: Correct. First, first video on MTV.
0: So I guess every year in London, or at least they did this for a while, they had a concert called The Prince's Trust. Yes. Have you heard of that? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So this one special they had, it was Trevor Horn doing a bunch of songs and they had a bunch of groups that it must have been like 9 or 10 different groups that all came on stage and played in front of this massive and eclectic orchestra that had all these different elements. They had yes. Yeah. They had um they had Prince or no mm-hmm. they had Seal. They had uh I forget who else played. They had ABC playing Look of Love and wow. Poison Arrow. Wow. It was really cool because it was pop slash rock music, but they had sixty pieces on set. Yeah, and horn players and violins and everything else, and they had adapted these songs
2: to include all this other shit. Yeah. Oh, and it's incredible.
0: Yeah. So anyway, there's some uh, nerd music for you. Tennis. What else? Music. <laughs> from from tennis to to, to music. Uh, let's see. Trevor Horn. I want to find this right now. Uh, Prince's. Trust Concert. Oh, there it is. God damn, the internet has everything? Yes, it does. And it's never closed, right? <laughs> uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was another oh, group that played. Uh, Relax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2004 uh, was the year. And uh, it was just wild. I mean, most of these groups I really didn't give a shit about. Like ABC with Look of Love and uh, Poison yeah, Arrow. That That's was... the, Those are the only songs that are actually on my uh, Spotify list. But here you go right here.
1: Bitches came and broke your heart.
2: It's like 70 now.
1: And now we meet in our abandoned studio. We hear the playback and it seems so long ago. Great. And you remember the shingles used to go. You are the first one.
0: Too bad I mean, you know. It's
2: great. Well, Anyways, we never heard of any other song he sang. So,
0: all right, that's let's uh, let's stop nerding out of music. Let's okay. close it out on dogs.
2: Well, yeah, okay. You don't want to talk baseball.
0: Let's talk baseball. John happens to know the Lerner family, owners of the Washington Nationals. He has been an instructor for multiple members of the Lerner family uh, when you were back at uh, Woodmont Country Club. I don't know if you still teach them out at the Ronis Academy.
2: They come come out once in a while.
0: All right, and you have been lucky enough. They're very kind to you, as you are to them, and they they help you out with tickets. And you know a lot about the baseball team that you you don't even tell me because right. I can't be trusted. And you're smart for doing that. Don't ever tell me this shit. But tell me what you want to say.
2: You know uh, about it, the learners about the nets. I don't. I don't want <clears throat> to ever talk out of school because. The situation that I'm in, you know, I've been there for, since the inception of the team, So, and they have literally treated me like one of their children. They are some of the nicest philanthropic people you'll ever meet in your entire life, and I'm talking well outside of giving me tickets. But I've sat there, you know, uh, just sitting in a chair or, or cleaning out a golf bag to replace another golf bag and talking baseball. And the one thing, the only thing that I want to get out there is that there is never a thought about money or the business itself over the team winning and and this is a bigger thing well they've spent money
0: yeah no one complains about the learners not spending money i mean even in the harper situation (laughs) they went good decision yeah it turned out to be a really good decision great decision and And they're gonna have to find their wallet for rendon
2: as well yeah and i hope and i do hope that 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 happens but they are they want this baseball team to basically do two things. They want it to win a World Series, and they want it to affect the community. And that's really the thing. That's that's what they want. They want goodness from this baseball team. They're, they're that kind of people. Yes, I am sure they are ruthless business people. They've had to be in the real estate business. But the fact is, from a personal standpoint of what I've seen out of them, they are all about this team affecting the community in a positive way and that's the only thing that I would would get out to the community that these these are the reasons they do what they're doing and yes there's a business aspect of it and yes hard decisions need to be made but truly when it comes down to it they do care about every fan and every person and every person around that community and stadium
0: the elder learner is not in the best of health
2: no ted learner is still in great health is he really he's older I mean he's I guess ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. So 94. So
0: Ted is ninety four. The son, who's really the guy who runs Mark. the team, has is a cancer survivor.
2: Mark, um, yes, Mark uh, ha- had to have his leg removed, uh, part of his leg removed, to combat some cancer. And his work in the community with Walter Reed and other organizations as a person who is a cancer survivor and had to have an ampute- amp- amputated uh, limb has been phenomenal as well. And you don't hear about those things because they just do them. And um, he's he's a phenomenal guy. Marla Lerner is, is his sister, and Debbie is his other sister. And Marla started the, and I'm sure the other ones had a part to it too, but Marla started the Washington Nationals Dream Foundation. And it is an incredible organization for inner-city kids. It promotes not only baseball but other aspects of life that get these kids in a position where – um, they have the chance to do some stuff that they just wouldn't have a chance to do. And that's um, backed by the Ted Nanette Learner Foundation. Um, I'm not sure if that's the exact name. But these are all, yes, of course they have the money, of course. But they earned the that money, and they do good things with it. And, well, um, the team has been amazing. hot as
0: shit. On, on Saturday night, they came back to beat the Phillies in Philly with a two-run shot in the ninth from Soto it's awesome they're now that after that game they were 30 or 31 and 10 in their last 41 it's the hottest 41 game stretch in the history of the franchise and they're coming on hard in the NL East which is something I didn't think they would do I proclaimed them dead in the water back in May I said they're going to limp into port 30 games back yeah, I'm glad I'm wrong as rain.
2: Now, it is going to be important on that July 31st. I think it's July 31st uh, trade deadline. There's only one now that they can deal with. So they're going to need some bullpen help. Um, but it's going to be important to see how they how they go from there. All right.
0: Boy, we have covered a lot of nerdy, disparate topics today here, Mr. Ronis. Fantastic. And you're in my in my house, in my studio, which is great. We'll have to do this again. Love Feedback, it. comments, thoughts. <laughs> oh, from from other from other real musicians, you can either <laughs> gently set us straight or add on to what we were talking about with our own love of music. And the fact that you came to music so damn late is amazing. We're gonna bring you out to Look of Love by ABC, everybody. <laughs> look at look at the lead singer there for Look of Love with his shimmering gold jacket in the 2004 Princess Trust. <laughs> look whoa, at that. Whoa, gold whoa, gold whoa, pants, so too. Range this song is kick-ass. I'm sorry. It's cheesy, but it is so good.
3: You know you're missing out on something. Well, that something depends on you. All I'm saying, it takes a lot to love you. All i you know it's true.
0: All i The bass player is wearing a leather skirt. Grace got to Here we go. That's
3: a little
1: there's
0: a guy. There's a guy there. There's a guy there playing vibraphone, which I actually owned a vibraphone because I wanted to be more of a musician, and it's the, uh, it's like a xylophone but there's a pedal to it, and it's got pipes under it, and you have to play it with four mallets if you're oh, any good. smokes. Yeah, and uh, I tried to play it. It wasn't very good. I played so the... my band The Vibra Slap. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's, yes! That's it.
0: A... <laughs> yeah, it's
2: like a rattlesnake.
0: All right. Johnny, we'll let you get on with your day. Thank you. A pleasure as always, buddy. We'll uh, see you on the golf gang next week. Thanks for having me. Let's end on this today. Alabama, you need to slow down. Headline, police warn against the rise of meth-crazed alligators in Alabama. Police have asked meth users to stop flushing their drugs down the toilet because they could create, in theory, meth gators. (laughs) Wow. This is something else. Apparently, there's been some reports of tweaked-out gators that don't behave as normal alligators would, Extra aggressive, extra erratic, and they believe it's because certain meth users, while they're about to be busted, are desperately flushing their ice down the toilet. During the arrest of suspected drug dealer Andy Perry, the man was found trying to flush various forms of paraphernalia down the toilet, along with large quantities of methamphetamines. Mr. Perry was eventually arrested when police discovered 12 grams of meth, 24 fluid ounces of liquid meth, and other paraphernalia throughout his home. It remains unclear how much of the product was actually able to flush down his toilet, but in a statement posted to Facebook, the department warned against hyped-up animals roaming through the region, including possible meth gators roaming throughout North Alabama. (laughs) Can you imagine a meth gator? all tweaked out, like uh, who were who were some of the low-level meth slingers under Jesse in Breaking Bad? Guys like that. Hey, man, yeah, let's do it, man. Somebody needs to animate for me or draw me a picture of what a meth gator would look like. Yes, they'd be dangerous and violent, but in the end, they'd just be looking for their next hit and willing to do just about anything. And that will be a wrap for today. As always, thank you for making time to listen to this podcast and the ever-swelling ocean of podcasts that are out there. If you like it, spread the word. Most appreciated. Download the Zabecast app. It is free and gluten-free. And if you're a subscriber, you will need it. Getting Fridays as well delivered by that method. We're working on getting it delivered to your favorite podcast apps, but that proves to be a whole different thing. And as always, keep your eyes out for meth gators, for cocaine squirrels, and for marijuana frogs, and any other creatures who are on some shit they shouldn't be on. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.